Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has some beard envy, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into there. Yeah, the uh, I'll just say this: the 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 fifty brilliant shades of gray inside of Del Conte's beard. Um, you know, it, it, it's like if if you saw only me, and then you saw Chris Del Conte's beard tweeted out, you thought this is what beards look like. It would be like if you were a Texas Rangers baseball fan and you saw the renderings of what your stadium was supposed to look like and and then what it actually looked like, or vice versa, actually, because Chris's beard is glorious. It is thick, goes in all directions at once, but somehow still looks quaffed. Um, you know, he paired it with some slick Ray-Bans. Quite a look, CDC. Quite a quite a freaking look. You, you, are, you are crushing quarantine as you do everything in your life, it seems. He, he's got it going together. I... He's also got a wife who's way more tolerant than mine because my wife was definitely like, hey, shave that beard. We're taking maternity pictures. Right. I didn't shave right. it, but I trimmed it. I had the, the quarantine beard had to go. It looks great, though. I mean, it, 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 she made the right call. Absolutely. Always does. I mean, <laughs> she married me, so probably she's she's at least missed on that one. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, but we're going to keep trudging along with our season preview, and we're to the big conference game. OU is on the schedule now, and so we have uh, the incredible opportunity to bring on uh, Kamiyar Harabian from uh, our friends over at Crimson and Cream Machine. Man, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. We are uh, excited to have you here. We're excited to talk football. We keep hopes alive that we are not talking uh, for not, and that this is this is a game that will, in fact, happen. Uh, there's one thing circled on the calendar every year. It's obviously this game. So uh, fingers crossed, especially hard as we talk a little Longhorns and Sooners. I mean, come on, what could be better than that? Right. And maybe in Norman this year. I was going to say, even though there's no state fair, like, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it will be weird Crazy. nonetheless, yeah. Whatever happens, no fans in the Cotton Bowl or in Norman or whatever, it's going to be absolutely weird. So um, we've got to, I think we have to start with the quarterback question because 
from outside the program, like, again, the biggest question, new quarterback for the Sooners. We've been saying for what feels like two decades now that, like, oh, can th- can this new guy keep up the standard of the last guy? And every time it happens. So um, Spencer Rattler was, I think, the top quarterback out of the in the country, like the number 11 recruit in the nation, like one of the top 200 50 players of all time, according to two, four sevens, uh, ranking. So he's got all of the, the accolades coming in. Uh, he's already got some Heisman murmurs from national, you know, national pundits and things like that. But like for, for OU fans and people that are in the actual know, like what's the, what's the conversation like for Spencer and what's the expectation, uh, coming in as a redshirt freshman. So I think you got to look a little bit at what this, the, what they say every summer, I mean, Lincoln Riley, every summer from Baker Mayfield, there was always, uh, oh, Trevor Knight and Baker Mayfield are in a quarterback duel. And then it was, oh, uh, Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall are in a quarterback duel. And it's going to be the same exact thing with Spencer. And it was the same thing with Spencer Rattler, Mordecai, and Jalen Hurts. And they're going to say the same thing about uh, uh, Spencer Rattler and Tanner Mordecai again this summer um, if they don't both have COVID. And so, like, it's just that, that weird narrative that they need to keep, like, a hold so they don't lose anybody to transferring. But realistically, you look at Spencer Rattler, and this, they've done the same thing. Lincoln Riley's done the same thing with Spencer Rattler as he's doing with Caleb Williams right now, who's likely to commit to the Sooners in less than a week, which is during his senior year of high school. Um, he held weekly Zoom conferences kind of like this where he would go over the offensive playbook and how they saw him fitting in and cover film just as a high school senior. And people forget at Pinnacle, Arizona, he uh, he kind of got dismissed from his football team from doing some shady things, but nobody's clearly sure what happened. Um, and then, of course, his redshirt freshman year, or I guess, yeah, it would be his freshman year, but he redshirted. The thing that sticks out to me is, a lot of people um, that are in the know would suggest that if Spencer Rattler had come onto campus in January instead of that summer, they would not have taken Jalen Hurts the transfer. And that should raise a lot of eyebrows. That should tell you how highly Lincoln Riley thinks of Spencer Rattler. And then fast forward to summer camp. Of course, Jalen's been there since January. And even in fall camp, uh, Spencer Rattler's making the throws that Jalen Hurts could not dream of. Spencer Rattler's making a lot of the throws that you just know Jalen Hurts. Like, you know, Jalen Hurts goes from like 63% to 72% in Lincoln Riley's system. But there's no way he's making throws that the Spencer Rattler is making. And I think there is no other thing that's pretty obvious than the Chick-fil-A Bowl where they just got buzzsawed by LSU just like everybody else where – Instead of Tanner Mordecai coming in, who was the de facto backup, you saw a couple series with Spencer Rattler, and that did uh, that that caused some issues. Uh, the the Mordecai family not too happy about that because you know, Lincoln, I was going to say it wasn't on purpose, but I mean, you have eyes, you can see. Um, so yeah, Lincoln Riley with the Heisman odds, it, it has to do with what the whole history of allowing freshmen to win the award now is combined with what Lincoln Riley can do with a good quarterback, combined with what is going to be in that offense with the numbers he's going to put up. Um, And honestly, now you get to open up your offense again. Uh, Jalen Hurts, people found out pretty quickly, does not like to throw over the middle. So that really hindered them in the second half of the season. So with the Spencer Rattler, who throws darts like a Baker Mayfield, uh, you can suddenly now throw down the sidelines, you can throw over the middle, and not really worry about a lot of things. So – 
the conversation for OU fans is high expectations. And with that becomes a lot of pressure. So it's a, it's a bit much, but I think it's something that Spencer Rattler can handle. So, I mean, we've seen, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about quarterbacks, but it is OU after all. And, and, and Lincoln Riley offense, we've seen a couple different type of quarterbacks. You just rattled off there, obviously uh, in, in Baker and then to Kyler uh, and then to Hertz. And I think, you know, Baker probably not given enough credit for, you know, how well he moves in the pocket, but obviously Kyler Murray, just a, an incredible athlete. And then Jalen Hurts, a guy who, you know, everyone knew could beat you with your feet. We saw a little bit of what he, you know, could do with his arm. Like you, like you alluded to, where does Rattler fall, um, you know, on that, uh, kind of spectrum is he closer to, to any of those three uh, I've always heard him as a pro style quarterback but I think he's got a little speed back there is that correct so I mean you get to look at the games that Lincoln Riley was able to put Spencer Rattler in during you know the four games that they're allowed uh, on the redshirt year and you saw Spencer Rattler actually run some read option but what how I see them using Spencer Rattler is simply how Lincoln Riley used Baker Mayfield, where you'll see a couple of read options a game, um, but nothing too flashy because they don't want to get him hurt. He doesn't have the speed of a Kyla Murray. He doesn't have the, you know, the low, the physical load that Jalen Hurts is. So they want to keep him protected, and he's going to be really realistically in the backfield just throwing darts. Um, he's more of a Drew Brees than anybody else if you want to compare kind of like his set to his the pro skill set. So just using him like Baker Mayfield, he has pocket awareness. He has pocket fluidity to escape the pocket and get yards that way. But it's not like they're going to design those quarterback runs that haunted defenses with Kylo Murray and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, for the most part, he'll get his yards either scrambling in the pocket or just design, design plays, of course, uh, just throwing the ball to the sidelines or over the middle. So he's, he's got some help coming back. In, in the offense, which, can, again, it's the OU offense, so there's always talent there. But I think we were all kind of shocked when, when Trey Sermon announced his transfer, but um, Oklahoma does return a 1,000-yard rusher in Kennedy Brooks. I think it's back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons if memory serves. Uh, and I think if not all five starters from last year, at least all five of the projected offensive linemen have starts under their belt. So, you know, with a, with a quarterback who's trying to find his feet in a – um, in a, not in a new system, but just trying to find his feet, a young quarterback, the running game is kind of his best friend. So what are the expectations for the ground game to, to kind of help alleviate some of the pressure on the quarterback? I think that's the main thing that Oklahoma, that the Oklahoma Sooner fans are really, and honestly, the coaching staff are just seeking comfort in regarding going into this weird season that we may experience uh, because you've got all five starters back uh, on the offensive line. Now, Eric Swenson was a guy that they played a left tackle in tandem with another transfer that they got from Virginia. Um, but you have all five starters back. The Both guards in the center, uh, the center notably Creed Humphrey, who is likely a day one or two candidate for the NFL draft. Uh, but both guards, those guys are fully set. You've got Adrian Ely that can go a right tackle or left tackle. Really, it's just a matter of finding – do they still want to go with Eric Swenson? They have a redshirt freshman in Stacey Wilkins who they feel really good about. So there's a battle that's that's pending there that the spring would have been really good for. Uh, but yeah, like you said, uh, they're returning a ton of starts in the offensive line. And uh, they've got Brooks back who's, like you said, it's a back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher who people forget is number one in the nation um, in yards after contact on the edge because Bill Beanabo loves those GT counters. So he is number one in the nation in – yeah, yards after contact, and then, of course, uh, tw- top 25 backs. They would have been returning 
three top 25 backs in pro football focus uh, if they had Trey Sermon. And, but they're also returning Ramondre Stevenson. Of course, he's serving a suspension as well. That actually is the last game is this, the Texas game, game five. Um, but you look at what they're able to do. You're look, you look at what Coach Biedembo is able to – has been able to build at Oklahoma since Stoops hired him. That's what was one of the biggest hires of the Stoops era besides, of course, Lincoln Riley. And they've just been pulling in four- and five-star offensive linemen guys year in and year out. So, really, you're looking to do a lot of runs, a lot of play action. They should be able to take care of Tennessee and Norman uh, and do a lot of other things and figure out other things. Of course, it takes a while to gel. They did that last year. Now, instead of Creed Humphrey saying, all right, I'm the only guy that's returning, everybody else is returning. So now they have a year under their belts, and now it's a matter of raising the bar uh, offensively. And if you know Bill Biedenbo, especially with that offensive line, a bunch of NFL guys, road graders, guys that like to play uh, pretty rough, Guys that like to get 15-yard penalties after the play, which is kind of annoying, uh, but Lincoln Riley's offense doesn't care for 15-yard penalties. <laughs> uh, it's just it's unreal how many penalties they get, and it just doesn't matter in the flow of the game. It's, it's pretty incredible, actually. Um, but, yeah, all five guys in the offensive line. Kennedy Brooks, which is really an, unherald, an unheralded running back that did really well out of, in Texas high school. Uh, he 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 made a lot of inroads and did a lot of impressive things in, in Texas high schools, uh, but he's not flashy. He's not a Trey Sermon. He's not a Demarco Murray. He's not an Adrian Peterson. Um, but he has a low center of gravity. He's got he has good hands. He doesn't look like he's going too fast, to be honest. Um, but it's his ability to one cut and go, and he never gets caught from behind. So that's why people are really reliable upon him. Um, and yeah, like you said, Oklahoma will be relying on that offensive line and that run game because they return pretty much everybody except a CD lamb and a running back. And that's it. That's basically it. And a quarterback, of course, you have everybody else, H backs, fullbacks, tight ends, whatever, but yeah, the offensive line and running game will be relied upon heavily. Like you mentioned, CD lamb being gone, is going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting case study. I think in Lincoln Riley of, you know, is it truly plug and play with some of these guys or, you know, replacing a, a very good quarterback and a truly elite receiver. Um, it's not ever the case. Like, uh, we, we said that the cupboard is bare. Um, one of my favorite names in the big 12, Charleston Rambo, uh, comes back with, I think more than 700, uh, yards and five TDs last year. Is he the, the instant guy? Like, is there a guy the way that CD lamb was kind of the guy and, and against UT, you know, just looked amazing of course, um, last year, but is there a, uh, is, is, kind of at a like-for-like like where Rambo's the number one, or is this a situation where you see multitude of names step up to try to uh, take on the uh, the oversized impact of CeeDee Lamb? This is where a really big issue happened around Easter this spring. Jaden Hazelwood was expected to be the guy that replaced CeeDee Lamb, and he t- of course Lincoln Riley does not like to give out in- injury information. Instead of saying, hey, it's an ACL tear, he says, oh, it's a leg injury. Uh, pretty much all the leg injuries have been ACL tears as, as Lincoln Riley has been the head coach. But so they were depending on really Jaden Hazelwood to take that next step and really step in the shoes of CeeDee Lamb. But that's not to say, like you said, you know, Charleston Rambo, Texas kid as his own, Cedar Hill, uh, really fast, was noted, noted for being a really fast burner. Uh, of course, gets cut off by Hollywood. He gets Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, of course, has just blazing speed, even though he's like five foot five. Um, and then, but people like to forget 
Charleston Rambo had 700 yards receiving. And a lot of people, when they see the number, are pretty shocked because they saw the second half of that season and they didn't see any Rambo. And neither did uh, neither did Jalen Hurts because in a lot of those <laughs> possessions, he was wide open. And he just didn't see him because he was staring down either CeeDee Lamb or just tucking the ball and running it, maybe fumbling it. That's what he did a lot in the second half of the season. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be really by committee because you've got injuries and you've got suspensions again. And kudos to Oklahoma wide receiver coaches. Um, They've been able to do a lot of damage, especially in the 2019 class. You know, you're lucky if you sign one five-star receiver. Oklahoma signed three five-star receivers and, of course, Spencer Rattler. They they, they signed the Trajan Bridges, Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss. Well, Jane Hazelwood tore the ACL around Easter, so he's probably out for the season. Maybe he makes a return late in the season and get four games in. Who knows? Um, Trajan Bridges, again, one of the three guys that is suspended for five games. That's an issue. And But then you still have another five-star receiver on campus in Theo East to show what he was able to do in the Baylor game against that pretty staunch Baylor defense and making guys miss and doing some special things. He was the one, most notably, that was ready for the game that they were about to come into last season. So having Theo Wies there, Theo Howard, another Theo uh, from UCLA, he had an Achilles injury, went way at UCLA, and I guess he re-aggravated it at OU, but he should be good to go by September, and that would be pretty good. He actually racked up uh, plenty of yards against Oklahoma and Norman one year, so they have a, a grad transfer in Theo Howard. Another transfer in Obi Obialo from Marshall, who's going to take the place of Lee Morris, who caught several balls from uh, Kyler Murray, and especially in the Big 12 title game when OU did play Texas down in Dallas. That that Allen-Texas connection was pretty big. And then, really, honestly, it's kind of slim pickings. It's kind of concerning for Sooner fans, coaches. you got a, a Stoops, Drake Stoops. He's not even on scholarship. Now, he was – and he decided to walk on an OU. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's talented, but he, of course, you would rather have a scholarship guy. You'd have rather have a four-star guy, a guy with, you know, a guy that isn't a Stoops, a guy that has some sort of uh, pedigree other than his last name. Then you have a Marvin Mims, who rewrote several receiving records in te- uh, Texas high school record books this past year. So another true freshman. So you look at the OU receiving core, and you're like, okay, this is ugh, it's kind of a little ugly. And then you get to the tight ends in Austin Stogner, Jalen Conyers, and several, and Braden Willis, and other guys that they're able to use. But the thing that brings a lot of comfort to fans, uh, the things that are pretty simple are, are this. This is not an offense run by Josh Heupel. Uh, this offense is run by Lincoln Riley as the head coach. And what we've seen is pretty incredible. You've seen a different offense for each quarterback, and each offense has been immaculate and Number one in the nation, save Jalen Hurts, which was number three. Um, last year, Big 12 Media Days, it was a joke. Uh, Barry Trammell said, hey, you're going to – one of Oklahoma Oklahoma writers said, hey, you're going to take a dip in production. And Lincoln Riley says, well, we don't plan to take a dip in production. And, of course, everybody in in the stadium, everybody down on the field and everybody that's you know, writing kind of scoffed, like, oh, okay, Oklahoma's not going to take a dip in production after Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. Really, he completed barely 60% of his passes at Alabama. And, proves everybody wrong once again because he's able to tailor the offense to quarterbacks and skill set, and he's dynamic in that, and he's really good in that, and that's why a lot of NFL players are, and coaches are after him. Um, so I would say that the receiving core 
it is worrisome. That's one of the things I look at. I look at two things uh, that are glaring issues to me, and one of them is receiving because you've got an injury, a suspension, and a lot of untapped potential. That kind of so I think that kind of cinches up the offense. So defensively, uh OU made a big jump last year. They went from 2 years ago being the the worst uh the I mean we'll just say the worst defense in the conference to uh yeah, top half, top 5, uh, number 4 I think it was the what it was all said and done. So how do you see the defense continuing to improve year to year, uh, especially as they get more talent that fits Alex Grinch's style and kind of need on that defense? Yeah, it's it's been a long time since the rumor of Curtis Bolton wanting to fight Mike Stoops in the Cotton Bowl uh, because the defense was just so god-awful. And then, of course, that's the game that got him fired, even though it should have been three years earlier and possibly two national title wins earlier. But, hey, you know, I'm sure Texas fans are glad that Mike Stoops were on the sideline. But now he's getting coffee for Nick Saban. So, <laughs> you know, joke's on him. Right next to Charlie Strong, actually. The two of them are competing. For real. <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty interesting to see what Alex Grinch was able to do with what Mike Stoops can do with those players you recruited. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, funny. It's kind of sad because uh, you look at the national title opportunities Oklahoma had at 2015, 17, 18, 19 was never going to be a win. It was never going to be close. But you look at those prolific offenses led by Baker and Kyler, and you're just like, wow, this. If you, if you had a competent guy earlier, you might have at least one of those in the trophy case. But yeah, like you said, taking that next step. Um, I mean, I'm sure that this is a Texas thing where this, the whole COVID thing and now like everybody getting to campus a little later and you're trying to install two off new off or a new offense or new defense with the coordinators. And it's kind of con- concerning and Oklahoma, they're in the second year of Alex Grinch. So now it's no longer a process of, Hey, learn this, learn this defense. Uh, because you know, Alex Grinch, they come in with a set of, uh, expectations they change the defense they simplify it instead of two gapping they're one gapping and that makes a lot of things and then you look at what Oklahoma's losing on defense though that's the that's the most concerning part so if we get to the point where we're saying hey what's a glaring issue Oklahomans are looking at what's a glaring issue for the team going into the fall you're going to look at the defensive line because Oklahoma they return roughly nine starters on defense now you lose Kenneth Murray in the first round that's huge you replace him with a former five-star linebacker and Caleb, Caleb Kelly, who's had some injury issues. And when he came back last year, I wasn't expecting him to come back. When he did, he played significant snaps over guys that had been playing in reserve roles all year, which is pretty telling about how the staff feels about him. But Oklahoma lost Neville Gallimore. He was double-teamed all year. He was triple-teamed in, even in the Chick-fil-A ball. Bowl didn't really matter if they did that. Also, Ronnie Perkins, probably the best player on the defense, suspended five games, including the Texas game. So you're really looking at that defensive line. They have a ton, like I said, on the wide receivers, they have a lot of untapped potential. And like you look at Alabama, you look at LSU, you look at other schools or Ohio State, and you look at their blue chip ratio. Oklahoma and Texas are separated by like two percentage points. And a lot of the percentage and a lot of what Oklahoma's blue chip status is, there's a lot, especially on defense, are locked up in freshmen and sophomores and redshirt freshmen. So you know you've recruited high caliber athletes, but it's a matter of are these guys who you thought they were, can they actually make a difference? So Oklahoma got the number one Juco player in Perry and Winfrey, the number one defensive line Juco player in Perry and Winfrey, who they're playing to plug in to Neville Gallimore, of course, Jalen Redmond, and they have they have a ton of rush edges and 
LaRon Stokes and guys coming back. It's just guys that need to prove themselves, really. And that's the main glare. Um, Oklahoma's building quality depth, actually, in defensive backs there. Parno Motley doesn't go drafted, but he signs as an undrafted free agent. They return Trey Norwood, who tore his ACL last summer. And then they're supposed to be getting the number one Juco safety in Justin Harrington, who is a far cry from what any of the Oklahoma defensive backs have looked like. This guy is six foot two, two fifteen. Everybody else is like five foot eleven, one eighty, one eighty-five. So we're looking about this Juco guy. We're waiting for Oklahoma to get him onto campus. So you know, if you can play nickel, if you can play safety, play cornerback, we don't know. But Oklahoma's developing depth back there. Oklahoma, and some of this, this is really different than anything, and it's really concerning for an Oklahoma fan. And this is verbatim from coaches, and this is from a source. When Mike Stoops was there, when Kerry Cooks was there, who was at Tech for a minute, I don't know if he's there anymore. He might still be there. I have no clue. I mean, they get burned regardless. Um, they were not taught, the defensive backs were not taught to actually turn around and look for the ball when the ball was in the air thrown by the quarterback. So, like, if somebody's saying ball, they were, taught, they were taught to face guard. So, you look at the lack of interceptions and you look at how many pass interference penalties, that's an issue. Tim Kish, a linebacker's coach, it's amazing that Kenneth Murray had three years or two years with this guy, never said a word about him, never really says a word about Mike Stoops other than, oh, he's a good coach, but rants and raves about Brian Odom and the new linebackers coach that came from Missouri because Grinch was familiar with them because of the Pinkle connection. Um, and then, so you just look at that and what they're doing, and like the Mike Stoops thing, they're terrified of making mistakes. Mike Stoops is crazy. Like, you, you've seen shots of him in the press box. It looks bad. He's swimming at the mouth. And Alex Grinch says, you know what? It's okay. Make a mistake. That's fine. Just play with your hair on fire. Make your mistake 100 miles an hour. So like as Sam Ellinger said, it felt like the Sooners were able to be more athletic and actually use their athletic abilities instead of thinking like, oh, where's the ball going? And by the time you realize where the ball going, where the ball's going, your defensive line's already blocked up and your linebackers are on an island. Um, so it's just, I expect the Oklahoma defense to answer your question after a long-winded statement. I expect the Oklahoma defense to actually regressed a little bit. Uh, you're losing the quarterback on offense. You're losing the quarterback on defense. You no longer have an elite athlete specimen in Kenneth Murray that runs a 4-5-40, patrolling the midwaves of the center of the, field, center of the field, and then you're losing a Neville Gallimore, another third-rounder. Uh, you have a suspended defensive end who is maybe the best player on your defense last year, definitely going to be the best player on defense this year. And as we all know, People want to say, oh, cover corners, cover corners, cover corners. But a lot of what it, that goes into is how good your defensive line is. If they're not getting any pressure, Parno Motley is not going to have the season he did last year. And Trey Brown is not having the season he did last year. So really, I think they're going to regress, but I think they'll stabilize in the middle. They just, like I said, have a lot of untapped potential in those youthful guys on the defensive line because the linebackers and the defensive backs are pretty set. They're get, getting depth but that offensive line still kind of shaky that's a fantastic recap they I, I love the way you said quarterback on offense quarterback on defense i do hate that the regression doesn't sound like it's going to be stoopsian level regression that's you know what texas fans are looking for but i think that's about as detailed as uh as you we could have possibly dreamed of that was a fantastic offense defense and overall team recap but we do a little something when we bring our folks on this show here where we um it's kind of a lightning round. We call this hooked them. Uh, I don't know uh, how you feel about that name, but we like to ask you questions that you're not 
prepared for. So um, we'll keep them quick. Just give first thing that comes off the top of your head. I'm going to start here with the question I'm calling Pimple and the Prom Queen. Obviously, we know Lincoln Riley is the uh, the man. I, I wish he coached somewhere other than OU so I could root uh, for him as a human being because he seems like a great guy. Um, single worst thing about Lincoln Riley, if you had to pick anything at all, what's your, uh, what's your biggest gripe? He has a tendency sometimes to abandon the run game, which completely kills the offense, as we've seen against Texas. Uh, Baker Mayfield's one of Baker Mayfield's losses to the Longhorns, and of course, and Kansas State and several other places where just abandoning the run game and kills the offense. Seems fair. I, I don't know what we were expecting out of that, but that seems like a good uh, a good one. So one of the things I've been doing that's weird uh, over the last, I guess it's we're six weeks into this, is. I've been trying to find a WWE connection on each of these schools. And it's real easy with OU because you've got JR and you've got Jack Swagger. So I, I make that connection to ask this question. Who is the most likely player on the OU roster to end up in the WWE? And what would their ring name be? Oh, man. Are you talking about right now? If, if there's somebody recent memory that you can think of, like this guy would be great. Oh, oh man. You know what? Who would be really good in the WWE? I think you're probably looking at honestly Creed Humphrey, uh, and you you could probably just call this guy the the behemoth or the mammoth because this man squats like six billion pounds. I like it, and uh, you know the Creed obvious tie, and he comes out to, with arms wide open. Um, <laughs> he's got the built-in interest. No, Creed is built like a freaking Mack truck. His center of gravity. I would never want to be on the bottom of one of his uh, suplexes. But uh, all right, now for the really tough one. I know this is this is gonna. This is going to rattle some some fences across the internet waves here. Better musical. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas or Oklahoma? Oh, man, Oklahoma. It's got to be Oklahoma. People <laughs> people recognize that name. Like, if you, if, if you go to New York and you mention both of those, what's most likely to be recognized is Oklahoma. Now, the racial stereotypes going on in that musical are something else and a lot of the other things that are mentioned. Different uh, but, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, of course, I'm going to say Oklahoma. But I, I got a question. I got a question for you guys. If that's okay, sure, love it. What would be the state of Texas fanhood if Sam Ellinger is the first Texas quarterback to lose to four different OU quarterbacks? How would we view Sam Ellinger's legacy? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. How, how, how would how would Texas fans react to that? And how would his legacy be viewed as well? If if it's in Dallas, if it's in well wherever the Cotton Bowl game, the the. Uh the Red River game is played. If it's there, but he manages to beat OU a second time in a conference championship game, then I think it's a different story, right? If it's just if it's just a loss, I think it's a blemish on what's going to be probably the second to third best quarterback all time. Because people people look at it and like Sam Elgar is a really good quarterback from what Texas has historically had. And you know, I recently watched some old games. I watched the 2000 game where we saw Chris Sims and Major Applewhite. Uh, and then, but you look at Ellinger and you look at his numbers, and people want to say how not good he is. And I'm not saying I'm not saying he's horrible. I'm not saying he's elite, but I'm saying he's a pretty good quarterback. And um, but I also was thinking, wait a minute, he lost yeah. to Baker. He lost to Kyler on the second try. Right, he beat him in Dallas. Yeah. He lost to Jalen Hurts and what they would do if they lost to a redshirt freshman Spencer Rattler. You know, I, I, I do think you got to get, get beyond just the, the, I mean, putting all of that on Sam, I think he's had some, you know, tough games, right. And playing, playing four years gives you a chance to lose four times. Right. It says something, but there's a guy like James street who is, his um, you know, 
I think the myth of James Street is, is blown even further because you beat OU. Uh, every time you have a chance, you get the opposite, right? Your legacy gets bumped. So it matters. It definitely does. I think Mac and Stoops were, were measured on how they performed in this game. Lots of players have been. I, I don't think any UT fan will say Sam Ellinger was a bum if that happens. And I think Gerald made the great caveat. He's had to play well, I guess has or has had the opportunity, however you want to look at it, to play OU in his career will be more than any other quarterback because, you know, this year they're probably going to play. I'm not going to make assumptions. There's a very good chance that they could play twice yet again. Um, so, you know, that's it, it's an interesting dynamic, right? A brave new world where uh, you, you face OU multiple times, right? There could be some quarterback that comes to UT or goes to OU that plays this game eight times, right? Like in theory, a maximum. Uh, of eight times and that's just crazy like I love it I love playing you know more but uh, yeah it's it's I don't think it tarnishes immediately if he had lost every game in the Cotton Bowl for four years eh, people might might have some things to say how hot is Tom Herman's seat right now I don't think I don't think it's particularly hot. I think I think a bad season could change that, but I don't think it's particularly hot, especially the way he's handled the off season. I think he and Lincoln have been two of the best in the country at it. Yeah, I, I really liked. I was I really respected Tom Herman. He he was the first one in the Big Twelve to say a lot of things actually, uh, going on this off season. So I really respected him a lot more for that. But oh man, he uh, seems like the prince that was promised and has yet to deliver, except one special season. And it, tur- yeah. it turned out like like season nine is what it really turned out to be, uh, <laughs> at least at least thus far. No, and, and like I would describe Tom Herman, the temperature of Tom Herman's seat to be like when you forget to turn off your seat warmers, where it's like this is uncomfortable, but I'm not sure why. Yeah, uh, he, he pulled the ripcord of firing all the coordinators, so uh, yep. I think that buys him an extra year. Like, yeah. If 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 they can get to if they can get back to the Big Twelve championship game this year, I think I think he's doing all right. That's right. I think that's I think that's the bar. I think Oklahoma State's really the only huge impediment to that. So I mean, in, in it'll it'll be an interesting thing again, assuming we have a season. But uh, this this shouldn't be the one that uh, that by game, week three people are calling for his head, unless somehow they've lost to oh to uh, excuse me LSU and a a UTEP. Uh, in there. So if something like that happens, now we could have a different conversation. But assuming a law of averages, then uh, I don't imagine this will be the year, um, you know, that, that, that he's getting the shock of smart treatment of being, uh, you know, sh- shouted down by his own fans. Right. I love it. Well, Kimmy, I mean, we really appreciate you taking some time out to uh, to hang out with us tonight, man. If people want to find out or find more of what you have to offer, where can they find you on the internet? Man, they can find me on crimsonandcreammachine.com. Um, I have a lot lot of things in the drafts for like recruiting this week's supposed to be really special for Oklahoma Sooner fans with Caleb Williams and a lot of other guys committing and you can find me on Twitter at Kamarabi and CCM and that's pretty much it awesome man well thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us tonight we really appreciate it and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully we get to see each other twice this year that'd be that'd be a good year that would be a good year every time I went to the last one in in the in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium so hopefully it's a repeat if it does happen uh, repeat of the game, different outcome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you Thanks, so much. Man. No problem. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. 
All right, Gerald. So let's uh, come to the segment that everyone uh, obviously comes to this show for. Uh, nice to talk about the OU Sooners, but can we please talk a little bit about the world through burnt orange lenses? So we're going to jump right in. We've talked uh, a little bit about some of these, I believe, in the past. But uh, the you know Fox College Football and I believe even their basketball, uh, TJ Ford commented when they talked about jersey numbers there as well. But the, the college football has been doing their greatest to wear number series and they got to number 12 and uh i had a bit of a conundrum gerald there was two people out of the eight listed wearing the number 12 and i could not easily pick the uh the single best of course those would both be colt mccoy and earl thomas two of the greatest college football players ever both happen to wear number 12 on opposite sides of the 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 ball gerald who you got who's your number 12 of number 12s uh that's so tough i mean Really, the fact that Texas had 25% of the greatest number 12s uh, is is okay with me. Um, but, man, it's so hard to choose between them. I mean, the guy who – Colt has to be the one, I think, because he holds all of the records. And if we go back to, like, our Mount Rushmore, Colt McCoy was a, a shoe-in. So, like, I think Colt has to be it. But, like, it feels weird to not say Earl Thomas, right? Just because Earl Thomas is just that dang good. Yeah, like, imagine if Colt was, was you know – number number eight instead of Shipley or Colt was number 13 um and, and you looked at again a really incredible list of course you got uh, Andrew Luck and, and Joe Namath and, and uh Roger Staubach who uh had a thing about Texas there um I, you might just you might just go ahead and say Earl Thomas there though Joe Namath you know was a colorful character and Andrew Luck was a fantastic quarterback um I'm putting Colt obviously as the answer of all of the 12s the eight listed uh in the second best of course is Earl Thomas unbiased opinion all right so moving on out of the uh out of the the 12s uh and into the the zeros and I mean that in the most flattering of ways number zero for the Los Angeles Lakers as well as for the University of Texas Longhorns while he was on here Avery Bradley will not be suiting up he made the uh made the comment that he's opting out of playing in the NBA restart in Orlando which is in itself is a fascinating uh experiment but basically if you're not aware they are restarting with a few games left for the teams that are the top uh, eight seeds basically in each conference and then if you are within plus or minus uh, a delta that you could potentially become that eighth seed so it's 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 roughly about uh, just under half of the league uh, is 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 playing right now um, but players had the option of choosing to to opt in or opt out and Avery Bradley uh, is opting out of the Lakers' um, potential championship team. Bradley only averaged uh, just under 10 points a game, but was by far the Lakers' best uh, defender, and especially perimeter defender Danny Green might have to pick up those responsibilities, but it will be a blow uh, to the Lakers' championship hopes. Uh, Gerald, what do you think? It would be a blow to their championship hopes if this this thing actually continues to happen. I give it like two weeks. Uh, players are testing positive, and it's it's gonna. I feel like it's gonna get shut down pretty quickly. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I think Avery Bradley is. I mean, again, he he was a big piece of that. Um, it's it's weird to say Avery Bradley is a big piece of a team that has you know LeBron James and and uh, Anthony Davis on it, but. Uh, defensively, he carried a lot of water for them, and I think he was always the guy that drew a tough matchup. So uh, losing him is a big hit to a team uh, that possibly had a championship run in it. Yeah, well, it does open up some minutes for the uh, – as someone with a hairline that, you know – 
is I'll say Tom Herman esque. Uh, it, it opens up a couple of minutes for a, a balding hero of everyone's Alex Caruso, uh, who side note from Colleen, uh, not I don't remember. He's from Texas, Texas A&M Consolidated. I think he went to. Um, my brother played him against, coached against his team in high school, and they same thing used to make fun of Alex Caruso in high school, and then he dropped like forty on my brother's team. So never, ever doubt the Caruso magic. Um, so on the other end of spectrum, athletes who look forty but are actually eighteen. Peace on Robinson. Gerald, we, we, we've all seen this video floating around the Twitter, catching passes uh, from, you know, equally uh, exciting prospect Hudson Card. Bijan, A, did some stupid stuff with his hands, which he showed uh, during his high school season. He, he has a propensity to make outlandish uh, OBJ-style catches. But more importantly, what I want to focus on, Gerald, is it legal to have that many ab muscles? Kyle, I have not seen a single ab muscle on my body at any point in my life. Um, so I, I can't comment on the legality of... One big ab muscle. It's it's one big midsection. I can't even call it a muscle, let's be honest here. Um, but, like, we, we're we joking, but, like, the body control on that kid as he came down with some of these passes, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I have no other way to say other than, like, how how do you make it look that easy? So, um, you know, I'm I'm... I'm excited to see him uh, to see him suit up, and you know what? If he if he doesn't redshirt this year, if he gets more than four games, it'll be for very good reasons. I just I just feel bad for the first cornerback who sees him at full speed coming towards him, and and just whether he decides to juke you out your shoes or just you know Earl Earl Campbell uh, pay homage and just run through a dude like he doesn't look like someone who who some other 18 year old who's playing defense would want to be on the wrong uh wrong side of so so we referenced it in the open of the show but uh Chris Conti did give some updates during his his beard showcase um about the south end zone uh there was some news dispersed in that um if you haven't seen the video do check it out uh we can we could retweet it from the show account but uh it, it it is it is showing some good progress in the in the north end zone um which is which is fantastic to see he showed what they're going to be able to accomplish assuming again full speed ahead that we have a season this year and then also the expectation um reiterating that by the next season, the 2021 football season, everything should be 100% complete with that project. And we should have the massive bad boy, uh, new end zone over there. So just for those who weren't aware, will still be some construction going on in the background. Uh, not that there will necessarily be fans to see it, uh, in the stadium, but construction will continue, uh, in the stadium during this football season. Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we knew that again, if we have football in 2020, we knew that there would be uh, construction there, but again, um, the renderings and what it's going to look like, and yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for it. It's going to be so so cool. Uh, yeah. I, again, I'll I'll harken back to my Texas Rangers analogy here. I really hope it isn't a deviation so drastic from the renderings. And in our final piece of burnt orange lenses news here, I just want to give a a Longhorn Republic congratulations and shout out to Colin Johnson engaged to his high school sweetheart who followed him from California to Austin and now to Jacksonville, Florida. They uh, he proposed to her on the beach in a socially distant uh, and appropriate proposal uh, with her on a swing and him on one knee. Congratulations to Colin Johnson, soon to be a married man. Gerald, 
I think that wraps it for burn orange lenses, and that only leads us to one logical place, just like we do uh, when we're Chris Del Conte, you know, uh, standing in front of the giant, giant screen, once known as the Godzilla Tron. We are watching the giant screens as we sit through COVID. Gerald, what are you watching? On the Godzilla Tron. What there have been a lot of movies that have been made free based on their historical context and, and uh, what's going on currently in the world. So the wife and I uh, sat down to watch Just Mercy, Just Mercy over the weekend, um, and it was really, really well acted. Really, so it's a really interesting look back at like the genesis of the Equal Justice uh, Initiative and kind of what they do and and kind of giving free representation to un, to uh, people that are in the legal system and, and maybe aren't actually guilty of their crimes or, or were underrepresented by a public defender, those types of things. And it's an interesting story about a, uh, a guy who was very openly framed for murder in, in Alabama, and he was put on death row even before he was tried. And it's there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan, really well-acted film. Uh, those two kind of are the leads, and then um, Brie Larson is, is the, kind of the third lead. But it's really all about the performances of, of Michael B. Jordan, who my wife called, and I quote, unnaturally handsome. Uh, and, and Jamie Foxx uh, trying, to, trying to mask how he is also one of those unnaturally handsome people uh, and failing. I, I intentionally try to, uh, try to obfuscate any movie that Michael B. Jordan is in um, from my wife because I'm, I'm fairly certain that he would just have to start like the sentence of like, Will you leave your husband to and like you know pass the salt? And she's like, leave my husband to come with you. You know she is she is absolutely in love with Michael B. Jordan. And, and, and I would be mad at both of our wives for passing on that. That's that's absolutely right. Um, no, that's that's a fair point. So Gerald, I have been watching a couple a couple things. I'm going to start and say um, I found out I did not know this about um, about my father-in-law. We were joking. There was a tweet about um, what King of the Hill characters would would do or say about masks and during covid and and you know with various things going on today and and how much we yearn for for (laughs) dale and and hank and boomhauer and and the gang um but uh my wife told me yes uh, my uh, your father-in-law, my father, loves King of the Hill. Favorite show, his favorite character of all time in any, uh, you know, series is is Boomhauer. He thinks he's hilarious. He can't stop giggling when he comes on the screen. Um, so I was like, you know, we have to watch this. I didn't realize, that, you know, you were a fan growing up of this show as well. So we've watched the first season. We'll probably continue on. It's a good background show. Incredibly classic. I was surprised how many things from... 15 years ago uh still felt prescient and relevant today um just a just a beautiful satire of our our wonderful and weird state um but uh please if you're listening to this and you haven't seen king of the hill get out there i don't know what the heck you're doing the other thing my wife's like all right i can't have any more king of the hill i need something else to cleanse the palate so she picked and i'm shocked by this she picked something called home game uh, so it is on Netflix. I think it just came out uh, this week, um, and, and it basically is like a you know six episode, very very small, um, maybe 30, 40 minutes for each each episode, um, where they examine. I guess like home game is supposed to be these regional unique um, sports, uh, and the the thread between them all seems to be violence um which is again i don't know that my wife likes an action movie but i, I wouldn't 
call her, she has a queasy stomach. So I'll just say this. When they did the Congolese voodoo professional wrestling, um, where you can either do a finishing move or a finishing voodoo on someone and the guy ate someone else's guts, her stomach was a bit weak for it. But she did love the Calcio in Firenze, where it's basically rugby, but with also sanctioned MMA as blockers. There's 27 players instead of blocking as an offensive and defensive lineman is they just punch each other um which is amazing it's so violent that the uh city of florence has outlawed it except for one tournament per year um it, it was between that there was a, a game in kyrgyzstan where it's like polo um but extremely aggressive in full contact and also the ball is a 37 pound goat carcass um like a like just recently slaughtered goat carcass um so th- that's just a a sampling there's a free diving um there's a roller derby actually with uh austin's own roller derby so um check it out guys uh couple on on the opposite ends there got your comedy w- with king of the hill you got your ridiculous with home game uh and you got your uh stimulating woke uh you actually really should watch it in gerald's pick in just mercy some good ones two things one um the kurdistan goat game that you mentioned um takes me back to a weird time in my life one my, growing up my favorite movie of all time was rambo 3 i don't know why it was rambo 3 but that that game is actually featured in rambo 3 so that's just a right. yeah sly stallone riding a horse picking up a goat carcass is featured in rambo 3 uh so Fantastic. that just takes ran, random connection it is the worst no it's not the worst rambo 2 is actually terrible but um it features helicopter v tank at the end which is just incredible uh and then king of the hill is probably like top five show for me, so I'm glad you're, you're diving in. Um, season one, it takes a little bit to, to find its yeah. feet, but really, when they figure out the characters, and it's like, as a as a parent who's trying, like, I, I identify with Hank in ways that I didn't feel like I would, just like trying to figure <laughs> out, like, par- like you're parenting by the seat of your pants, and so it's just like, I don't know what to do with this kid, but I'm trying to figure it out, and I love him, and I want to, I want to do right by him, but I just don't know what I'm doing. So I identify with Hank in in new and in unique ways. That, that boy ain't right. That's all we've got for you this week. I don't know what to do with that. Kyle, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Gooder. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Keep staying woke.